Well, good morning. I want to celebrate a few things with you this morning before we get into the message. Uh, as you know, we've been in a search for a high school and college age minister, and it's been thorough. We've gone over 30 resumes that we've gone through, but I'm glad to announce that we've come to a conclusion and that Cody Hunt from Indiana has accepted the call to come here. So we're excited about that. Um, he, he will start November 9th. He's holding true to the ministry that he's in and finishing well there. But to kind of introduce him, uh, just take a look at this video where he welcomes you as we prepare to welcome him. The first Christian church family, my name is Cody Hunt, and I'm the new high school young Our family cannot wait to be with you in Springfield, worshiping and serving Jesus. My name is Heather, and these are our children. Wilson is five, Ben here is three, almost four, Alan is two, and we're expecting one more in March. Our family is wild and crazy. We love sports. We love to be outside. Most of all, we love Jesus and cannot wait to see him move with you guys soon. Indiana fans can love Jesus. Just want you to know that. Uh, we're looking forward to them coming. They're going to really help with church growth when they get here. They're, they're a large family. We're, we're really excited about Cody. We think you will grow to love he and his family uh, when they arrive. I also want to celebrate another thing. Dallas Campbell uh, accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior and was baptized by her father last Sunday. We just wanted uh, to be able to celebrate with them. And then also I was looking through Facebook and uh, I saw Heather Burton, who uh, was on staff here for a little while before she went to South Africa, uh, posted some pictures. She w she's working in a youth ministry and had the opportunity to baptize three of the young ladies that she's been working with. And so let's just celebrate with her what uh, she was able to take part in. Now I have a question for you. How many of you have ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, okay, I see. Most of us have seen it. Um, it it'll be 75, year old, year, 75 years old next year, and yet, according to the American Film Institute, it is still number one in the category of most inspirational American-made film, 75 years later. Uh, for those of you who have, have seen it, I don't know about you, it's kind of hard not to cry the first five times I saw it. Um, it, it, it communicated to us, and one of the reasons is it's, it's on the fact that your life does matter. Your life can matter, can make a difference, even when it doesn't feel like it. And because some of you did not raise your hand, let me just give you a quick synopsis of the movie. George Bailey is the character. He's just kind of an everyman, a normal American. Uh, this is 1946, and then it flashes back to his life earlier. When he was growing up, he had a younger brother who fell through the ice while they were skating in the winter. He goes in, saves his brother, but the resulting ear infection, uh, he loses his hearing. So when World War II comes around, his brother enlists, in fact, becomes a hero through some heroic actions, saves the lives of 600 men on a transport that was sinking. But George is stuck back home, 4F, unable to go in, in service country in that capacity at least, but he does what he can here on the home front. Later, he's ready to pursue his dreams, and he wants to travel the world. He has big plans. He's about ready to leave when a death in the family 
causes a crisis in their locally owned business, the savings and loan. So shouldering that responsibility, he abandons his dreams, his plans, at least for the moment, and he takes up leadership of the savings and loan. Uh, it helps many young families because the bank is run by an older, um, less kind individual named Mr. Potter. And so the opportunities they wouldn't have had there, they now have through the savings, his family savings and loan. There, there is a panic, a financial crisis that comes along that once again forces him to abandon his plans to, to leave and to travel. Uh, he has to put up his own money to keep the, the bank, the savings and loan from failing. So once again, it would seem he's sacrificing his dreams to shoulder responsibility. Eventually, he's married, but because of the financial situation, they, they buy an old house that's always, uh, in the course of the movie, you see the irritation of things always breaking. Um, and, and, and that's just a few examples of the thing. This continues throughout the movie. Uh, you know, he has these plans, but he accepts the call of responsibility, and it alters his plans. Now, finally, an, another financial crisis takes place at the point where kind of a breaking point for him. It looks like all is lost. He goes to Mr. Potter, who is unwilling to help. And so he finds himself uh, on a bridge near Christmas time, contemplating jumping. And he makes the statement, I wish I'd never been born. And uh, for those who saw the movie, you know an angel comes, Clarence, uh, a fledgling angel who grants his wish. He, he finds out over time that Clarence has made it as if he'd never been born. And Clarence takes him to the the cemetery, and there's his brother's headstone. And he says, well, no, George Bailey's a hero. My, bro my brother, my brother's a hero. And he says, yes, but you weren't there to save him when he fell through the ice. And by the way, 600 servicemen are also dead because he didn't save them because you weren't there to save him. And then they go to the place where young families, uh, young parents had raised their families, and it was a a thriving little neighborhood, but they look and it's an empty field. And he says, I don't understand. Where, where are the homes? And he says, well, because you weren't there to keep the savings and loan going. Those families were not able to get loans, and so they, they weren't able to build here. And they go and they, they find his wife, who never married because George wasn't there, and now she's fearful in her older age. And there's another young woman in the community that he had just offered some encouragement to, but now her life trajectory has changed because he, he wasn't there to do that. And the whole idea of the movie is to let us know, even if you think you're not in a position of influence, you don't feel like you're a leader, your life touches many, many people. And, and at the end of the movie, the, the encouraging word is, you are, you can be a person of influence. And that's the title of the series that we're about to go into, A Person of Influence. Now, it's based on the book of Titus. In fact, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at the first several verses this morning. And by the way, I've chosen the term influence. I could have used the word leader. You can be a leader. But a lot of people immediately decide that's not them. You're talking about somebody else. They, you associate leadership with a specific position or a specific skill set. And, and so you wouldn't connect. And I want everybody co to connect because even though this book was written to a young leader, the principles apply to everyone who wants to influence someone else. 
And so the, so the title is A Person of Influence, and I hope you're able to apply it to yourself as we talk through these principles. Now, it, it took a wake-up moment for George Bailey to get that, because quite honestly, he thought he was a failure. He thought he hadn't made a difference, that his life didn't matter. And that's what got him to that point, and, and he was shown that, yes, it does. And God gives us all opportunities to make a difference. And maybe you're making a difference and just haven't seen the fruition yet. So we're going <clears> to <throat> look at this over the next two months, October and November. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the first five verses. And this is the part that we usually think of, as, and it is, an introduction and so a lot of times we kind of glaze over and read over the, the introduction to get to the meat. But there's some information here that's helpful for us. In, in these five verses, we're going to introduce three characters, um, all of who rec whom receive a call from God. And that's, that's the idea of this morning's message. You, you are called to influence. And, and everybody listed here, now the calls are different. But everyone was called to influence. So let's read the first five verses, and then we'll go back and look at them. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and a knowledge of the truth <clears throat> that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To, Tim, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now the first character that, that we find in that passage is Paul, the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, he is going to be the instructor, our, our field guide, our trainer, as we go through this series on being a person of influence. And he's well qualified. In fact, it would not be an understatement to say Paul has been one of the most influential people that ever lived. He wrote more books in the anthology, that is the Bible, which is the best-selling book of all time. His name, his penmanship guided by God, more books than any other person in that Bible that has been read by more people than any other book. His preaching and his church planting uh, laid the foundation for the movement of the kingdom of God that has grown through the two millennia since that time. He had a dramatic call in Acts chapter 9. You, you read that, Paul was on the road to Damascus, there's this blinding light, there's a voice from heaven... There's a miraculous intervention that strikes him blind, then later cures him miraculously. He, he, so he, he has this miraculous call from God. And when you stop to think about, or at least when I stop to think about the Apostle Paul, his life, his call, I think I am inspired, I am motivated by his example, but that's not me. I don't have the skill set that the Apostle Paul had. I've not had a call like that. I've heard no voice from heaven, no blinding light. And so that's great, and I'm excited about it, but, but, but how am I supposed to relate, put myself in those shoes? And if you're asking that question, you're, you're probably in the majority 
in the room today. Uh, the truth is, Paul is what I would call a natural influencer. And, and there are those. They're kind of born with that skill set. And they naturally influence other people. And we're going to talk about him now. By the way, if you're the majority that doesn't relate, hold on because we're going to get to the next character in a minute. But the Apostle Paul was a natural influencer. And that's only a small percentage of the population. But there are some of you here that fall into that category. Mike Bro is one of the preachers in our brotherhood who I would call a natural influencer. In fact, he has a sermon that's become kind of famous. Everywhere he preaches it, it, it usually has more requests for that sermon than, than any other sermon that that church has put out. And it's about being an influence, about making ripples in your life that impact other people, making a difference, being an influencer. And in one of the illustrations he uses in that sermon, he says, now, now there's... Two different ways you can get into a pool or into a pond or into the ocean. And he says, most people kind of do it a little bit at a time. And I'll be honest, I've done this. You get in and your feet, whoa, that's cold. And so you wait till you're kind of getting numb or used to it. And then you step in farther and eat, whoa, that's cold. And the farther you step, the colder it feels. And finally, after a who knows how long, you know, if, you're, if you decide you're going to get your hair wet, you, know, you finally dip your head under. Just a little bit at a time. He said, he says my approach is... I would just take a running jump and I make the biggest cannonball I can, the biggest splash I can, so the ripples go throughout the swimming pool. And if the walls of the swimming pool weren't there, it would ripple on beyond that. And he says, that's the way I approach life. That's the way I approach my desire to influence, to make a difference, to touch the lives of other people. And, and, and that could be personality. That's based on several things. But if you're in that category, let, I'm speaking to you at this point, and that is, there is a caution. First of all, you have a tremendous gift from God. Use it. Use it for Him. But here's the caution, and it's one that applied to the Apostle Paul. Watch where you jump. You see, it's easy for you to take a cause or a hurt or a passion or a position that you have and steamroll ahead, which God wants you to use that gift. But the problem was, the Apostle Paul was steamrolling in the wrong direction. When Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, he was using his gift. He was being a natural influencer, but, but for the wrong thing. Now, he, he was confident he was doing what was right, but he was basically pursuing his agenda and not a call from God. And so because you are so good at influencing people and you are so ready to make those ripples, probably the, the biggest thing for you is to make sure... You're using that influence based on God's guidance. See, God had to take a, a two-by-four and hit Paul upside the head and say, Paul, well, Saul is what he went by the time. Why, why are you persecuting me? And, and he had to point him in the right direction. The, the truth is, not only can we all be influencers, we all are influencers. Just a question about how we're influencing people. We, we can influence people by our apathy. We, we can influence people by, by going in the wrong direction. So make sure you, you have discerned God's call on your life. Now, Paul did, and it turned his life around. And, and as we said, he's become one of the most influential people in human history. 
but it, it did change his perspective about his call. Now, Paul shared about the dramatic nature of his call in, in the book of Acts numerous times. It was part of his testimony. But it's interesting here in Titus 1 through 3, he doesn't mention the light from heaven. Uh, he doesn't mention the voice. He doesn't mention the miraculous blindness and then cure. He, he just mentions the heart of what a call is, and that was the purpose he received from God. Those other things were icing on the cake. And so if you didn't experience those other things, that doesn't mean God doesn't have a call on your life. Here's how he describes it. He's a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for a purpose. The faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. That's, what, that's the heart of his call. That's what he shares with Titus, not the other trappings of his call. And he recognizes this one is from God. At his appointed time, at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. It, it, it was God's direction that has me doing what I'm doing now. It was my direction that had me doing the things that I now regret. And, and so, your life has meaning, even if they're doesn't have the spectacular part of it. Even if you don't do the volume of what Paul did, you have a call on your life if God gives you a, a God-ordained purpose to pursue. So, so that's the, the first character, Paul, a natural influencer. And he, he teaches us the true nature of a call, which is simply God-ordained direction in your life. Titus is the next one. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, so we'll read, read those again. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, I, I'm calling Titus an empowered influencer. And, and that's probably the category most of us fall into. We don't necessarily have natural-born skill set of the Apostle Paul. Our personality might not lend itself to interaction with other people, at least not on that scale. But influencing involves a skill set that can be learned, that can be trained, that, that in doing so empowers anyone become a person of influence, or at least of greater influence than we are already. And, and sometimes it, it's definitely harder because it gets us out of our comfort zone, but probably more needed than even the, the front-runner natural influencer. Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor, was once asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? His answer was very practical. He said, second fiddle. See, it is hard to lead from the second chair, but it is necessary. Uh, it, to, to the humility that it takes, and then usually the learned skill set. The person in the first chair probably has more natural ability than the person in the second chair, but the person in the second chair worked equally hard to get where, where they were at. And Titus is playing second fiddle to Paul's first chair. Paul has the office of apostle. Titus doesn't. Um, 
Paul was the church planter. Titus is coming in after a church has been planted to follow up. And quite honestly, he's doing as Paul directs. And so here we find that Titus is also called, but not necessarily in exactly the same way the Apostle Paul. Paul's called by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Titus is called to a God-given purpose, but actually through the authority of the Apostle Paul, through another person who says, I'm leaving you in Crete, and you've got... A God-ordained purpose. You straighten out what was unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, is that as, as strong of a call as Paul? Well, what's the heart of a call? A God-given assignment. The, the, the other trappings aren't what make it a call. That was just to get his attention. And so here's Titus, an empowered influencer who's been given an assignment, a God-ordained assignment. In this case, it's not a call that lasts his entire life. This is an assignment for a season while he's in Crete. Now, there's a larger call of doing similar things that last throughout his life. And, and, and I, I am pretty confident, thinking through this idea of being an empowered influencer, that Titus was reluctant initially to that call. And let me give you some practical reasons. Um, one, sometimes it's personality, and other times you don't feel adequate, and we'll look at some calls here in a minute. But in this case, he, he had a taste of what he was being asked to do, and, and, and quite honestly, it was difficult. See, this isn't the first time we find Titus's name in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we find out the Apostle Paul had given him an assignment before this one that was to go to the city of Corinth and kind of straighten out some things. Now, the church at Corinth... They, they, they were a handful. You read through the book of 1 Corinthians, and there's one problem after another after another. I, I preached a series on this book one time. I entitled it, Seven Spiritual Sucker Punches. Seven ways the devil catches you off not looking and just about KOs you. And, and they fell for all seven of them as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where Paul sent Titus. So he faithfully fulfilled that assignment. He came back. Now, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. Okay, I, that, that was a call from God. That was a ministry God wanted me to do. I, I'm sure he's got a better one for me next time. Well, now he's getting the next one. I'm leaving you in Crete, and here's your assignment. By the way, verse 12, which we'll look at in two weeks, Paul says, one of their prophets was right when he said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And Titus thinking, this is my second assignment? You know, I thought Corinth was bad. Uh, and, and so I, I, if he's human, he's reluctant to receive that assignment. And, and beyond that, even if it's one that necessarily isn't tough like that, if you are an empowered influencer, odds are you were probably reluctant uh, to accept your first assignment and maybe your next one. Let's go through some examples in the Bible. It's amazing. Even some of the natural influencers were reluctant when they received their call. Now, Moses, I think, was a natural influencer. He has somewhat of a spectacular call, a burning bush. But when God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, which is a risky assignment, he, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And, and he goes on to say, I, 
I'm not well-spoken like my brother Aaron. Why are you sending me? He felt unequipped. And so he was reluctant when he received the call. Samuel didn't recognize the call. Now he was just a young boy in the temple. God speaks to him, Samuel, Samuel. Three times he gets up and goes to Eli. I think it's Eli calling him. And Eli sends him back. And finally Eli says, listen, I think the Lord has something to say to you. But, but initially, he didn't recognize the call. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, the very first chapter of his book, he talks about the fact God came to him and said, listen, before you were born, I formed you in the womb. I have a purpose for you. It's to be a prophet to the nations. And, and his response, Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. Jeremiah lacked confidence, felt ill-prepared when he received the call. Jonah Jonah probably the extreme example. God came to him and said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. And that's another tough assignment because Nineveh was in Assyria. The Assyrians were attacking and slaughtering the Israelites. So uh, you can understand reluctance, but he took it beyond that. He got on the first freighter going in the opposite direction. And he was defiant when it came to the call that God had given him. Isaiah sees in the first chapter of his book, sees a vision of God in his temple high and lifted up and the seraphim around, they're all calling holy, holy. And his response is to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And God had to intervene and he symbolically touches his lips and said, now you're clean. Before Isaiah gets to the place that says, where he says, here am I, send me. But, but, but one call that I think maybe is overlooked as a call is probably more typical for most of us, especially as empowered influencers, and, and that's the story of Esther. Esther was in a key position during a difficult time. She was queen, but, but the queen, quite honestly, even lived at the pleasure of the king. And Mordecai wanted her to go to the king and make a request. He said, I'll do it. But if he's, if, if he's in a bad mood today, it could be bad news for me to go without him calling me there. And Mordecai makes the statement, famous statement, which I view as Esther's call. He said, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. She goes home. She prays about it. And then her response to Mordecai basically is, she accepts by saying, if I perish, I perish. But God has given me this opportunity in these circumstances, and I am willing to, to shoulder it. Now, when you think about it, you go through that list. Every one of them was kind of like George Bailey. That they had to sacrifice what they thought were their dreams for their life in order to accept the responsibility that God was putting on them. But in each case, their life became more meaningful, not less meaningful, by accepting the call of God. Think about Titus. Now, now he had some difficult things to go through if he, all, if he was dealing with transforming liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons to Christ's followers, conform the image of his son. But, but think about where Titus would be maybe if he had followed his dreams and where he ended up. He ended up having a book in the most read anthology of all time named after him that the instructions that were given to help him have helped millions of believers as a result over the 2,000 years since that happened. 
He has become uh, one of the high up influencers in the course of Christendom because he accepted a God-given assignment that initially looked like it was going to cause him to sacrifice his dreams. And in reality, it made him more important, more of an influencer. I, I, I like just the idea of a call can come just based on the circumstances that you find before you and someone is needed to stand in the gap. Now, confirm that this is in line with what God wants you to do, but it reminds me of something that happened back in 1982. Lenny Skutnik was a, a low-level government employee that was out on the stroll for lunch when, when um, a, a huge event happened. Florida, uh, Air Florida Flight 90 was coming in for a landing in Washington, D.C. and crashed into the icy waters of the Potomac River in January, January 13th. And it was a horrible carnage. People were floating in the water. Hypothermia is extremely, happens extremely quickly under those conditions. Helicopters were coming in because people didn't want to get in the water. They were lowering ropes. They were rescuing people. There was one young lady who was not able to hold on. So Lenny Skutnik dove into the icy waters, brought her back to shore, and rescued her. A few days later, uh, President Reagan decided to recognize him at the State of the Union for his heroic act. But, but it's interesting, when he was interviewed later, they asked him, well, what influenced him to, to make that decision? He shared it in a humorous way. He said, God was up there looking at the need of that young woman, and he said, eeny, meeny, miny, and Lenny, your mo." And so I jumped in. Who knows but that you have come to this position. You were in that spot for a time such as this. God calls you to be a person of influence. It is not dependent on having a particular position or role. It's not primarily an issue of power or personality. It is responding to a God-given assignment. Now, the last group that, that I want to look at quickly here is the elders, mentioned in verse 5. Now, he's going to go on to talk about um, character of an elder, etc. We'll look at that next week. Zach will be looking at that next week. But, but he, I want you to get the idea of a call. The, the call of these elders here was very similar to Titus. It started with the Apostle Paul, who was called by Jesus directly, who then calls Titus with a, a Jesus-given assignment, who then calls elders at this new church in Crete. Now here it says Titus, the evangelist, was to appoint elders. Now the reason is this is a, a church plant. They don't have any elders. And, and so they had to establish an eldership. And so in that role, he appointed them after seeing who was prepared and ready. But once they were established, once you have this group of overseers, then they call other people to service, whether it be new elders, whether it be deacons, whether it be teachers, whether it be team leaders, and maybe they'll do that through the staff and those other leaders that they've established. And the point is, it's like ripples in a pond. One person influences another who influences several others, who influences more, and the kingdom of God moves ahead. It's a chain reaction. I, I, I want to close by sharing you just a quick story here about an example of this. And it's, it's about a couple that I met several years ago during the last couple... Actually, I think it was the last year I, I was at uh, 
Okolona before coming here. And, and uh, they were immigrants. Uh, she was from Costa Rica. He was from Cuba. Um, they, they were married, had one very young son when they uh, were able to immigrate to the United States because Cuba at the time uh, was, was uh, considered in a class of being an oppressive regime. They were able to, to get in legally because they were given asylum to people who were from Cuba. It, it was a harrowing trip, a harrowing ex- adventure, but they were able to get in. They had only what they were carrying with them, barely had enough money to get a bus ride from the border to Louisville, Kentucky, where they planted. He found a job in a factory that, that paid about $80 a day because he was one of the hardest workers there. They kept piling more responsibility on him, but not more money. They were struggling with their young family. They ultimately had another daughter later. Uh, one day, one of the guys he worked with said, hey, I, I'm going out to do some repairs on a, on a uh, tractor trailer. Will you, I'll need some help. Will you come? So he agreed. He went. And when he left, his friend gave him $50, which is almost how much he made a day working all day. And, and so he thought, maybe there's something I can do here. So he started uh, networking and offering to change the oil for independent contractors who had their own semi by coming to their house and doing it. So he said for a while in the pouring rain, he would go to different people's houses, he would change the oil, and he was dependable, he did what he said he was going to do, word got around, more and more people asked him, then they started asking him, hey, well, you can change oil, but can you fix this? And he says, I'll come back tomorrow and do that. And he said he'd go home and he'd spend all night on the internet making sure he knew how to do that. And he, you know, if there was a safety issue, you know, he would bring somebody else in, but he would go... And, do, and then word started getting around. More and more people started calling him. He started his own business at, where, where they would bring the trucks there and he would repair them. Then he started hiring employees. Then he bought a, a um, pickup truck that was able to take the cabs on the semis. They, they became successful um, pursuing the American dream. The only thing was he didn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. His wife did. And she had been praying for him for, for over a decade and one day, I hadn't met them yet, one day she called the church and said, I, I've listened to every sermon that, that you have available on your website, and I've taken notes on everyone. We're going to come Sunday, and I finally convinced my husband to come with me to church. And I just wanted you to know, because I've been praying really hard for him. And so I made a point of meeting them after the service, and we went out to eat for lunch and tried to establish a relationship. And she continued to pray for her husband. Now, she's the influencer in this story. I, I, I'm just an assistant in this. She's the influencer. And uh, finally, one day, her husband called me and asked to talk to us. So Shirley and I went to his shop. He didn't want his wife to know. Um, and and his, he was still working on his English, but we had a conversation, and, and he wanted to make Christ his Lord and Savior. Now, I shared the gospel with him, but his wife had already done it several dozen times. And, and, and so he said, I want to surprise her. And so we made arrangements so that um, we moved baptism to right at the beginning of the service, so he was going to sneak out while she came in and, and then was going to surprise her and be baptized. Well, while we were that week, he calls me again, and he says, I've been talking to my son and told him what you and, and Adriana have told me, and he wants Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. And so that Sunday, we walked out at the beginning of the service. Adriana always sat on the front row. And you can imagine her reaction when she saw uh, her husband and her son 
accept Christ. I, I baptized Jordani. He turned around and baptized his son. They continued to come, got involved, uh, continued to grow as believers. A couple months went by. They called me and said, hey, will you pray for Jordani's parents? We want, they, they're still in Cuba. We're, we're praying that they can get a visa to come visit. And so we prayed with them, and ultimately they did. Uh, when they got here, again, I received another call. Uh, we've been talking to Jordani's parents. They, they'd like for you to come and, and share the gospel. Well, Adriana already had. But, but I came, and they didn't speak any English, so through her interpreting, she again, shared with them, confirmed what she'd been saying. And, and then that next Sunday, uh, Jordani, in Spanish, God knows Spanish, baptized his mom and dad from Cuba, who then went back and now have the opportunity to be an influence on their family in a communist country. And so the, the point of this series and the examples that we'll share is you can be, quite honestly, you already are a person of influence. Will you make a difference in someone else's life in response to a God-given call? Let's bow in prayer. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this uh, beginning look at the book of Titus. Thank you for this wake-up moment. Uh, the Apostle Paul had a wake-up moment in Acts chapter 9. George Bailey had a wake-up moment on a bridge with an angel in that, that story. And, and God, I pray this is a wake-up moment for us to remind us that, first of all, our life does matter. It already has been making a difference. We, we may not see that, like this the song from several years ago, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. It's, it's only when a person got to heaven and began to see the impact that he had on other people's lives. So God, let us not grow weary. Let us not despair of whether our life means anything. We, as believers, we know that we have a God-given eternal purpose that gives our life meaning. May we pursue that with all our energies. May we train and prepare uh, to be empowered influencers. Uh, as natural influencers, may we continually seek your guidance uh, so that when we make that splash in those ripples, we'll, we're doing it in a way that will build up and not tear down. God, thank you for the meaning and purpose in life. May we live it out every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.